Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we need your grace tonight. Lord, we need you to speak to us in the midst of oftentimes the confusion and the pressures of culture, oftentimes the confusion and pressure of the church. Lord, there has been so much around this topic that has been really fear-based and at sometimes just downright dishonest. And Lord, I pray that you would help us tonight as one people, as broken people before a Savior, as sinful people before, before a Redeemer. Help us tonight to open our hearts, open our minds, and to let you speak to us, God. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you and we trust you to be here tonight and do what only you can do, speak like only you could speak. We will give you all of the praise, all of the thanks for it, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you say hi to a couple people? Everybody find a comfortable seat. We've got a few prime seats up in this section. If you're having trouble finding a spot. I really want to thank every one of you for coming out tonight and just being part of of this very important talk, very important conversation, really, um, about a topic that is just very, very hot in our culture. Um, Now, some of you tonight may be a little disappointing. Um, Right now, of course, what's in the news is homosexual marriage, homosexual adoption, homosexual ordination, and we're not going to talk about any of those things tonight. Those are politics, and we are going to have a talk on politics. It's going to be in November. It's called, it's very original. Let's talk about politics. Um, So we will have that talk, but that talk isn't tonight. Tonight we're going to talk we're going to talk. If you came tonight for an argument, once again, you're going to be disappointed. Um, It's not a big deal for me If you disagree with my opinion, there are many opinions on this topic and how to how to look at this topic. And so if you disagree with me, uh, we we will leave here tonight 
agreeing to disagree, hopefully in a way that values each other, that dignifies each other, that dignifies that we all have free will. We're all thinking. We're all trying to do what's right. But I also believe that God wants to speak tonight. I think he wants to speak to every one of us. It's a funny thing. Um, Peter and John, uh, they're around the campfire. This is, this is before Jesus' ascension. And, and Jesus has just reinstated Peter to being a shepherd. And he says, you know, Peter, of course, originally had said, Lord, I will die for you. And, and then, of course, he denied Christ three times. And Jesus says, Peter, the day is coming when you will be led in a way that you don't want to go. And you, you're going to make it. You're going to be a hero for the faith. You're, you're going to die for him. He, in essence, says you're going to die for him. And Peter immediately says, what about him? He points to John and he says, what about him? What's going to happen with him? Now listen to what Jesus says to Peter. This is his top apostle. Here's what he says. What's that to you? Why does it make any difference to you what I speak to him? You follow me. And, and for some reason, we, we're very concerned about what God is speaking to somebody else. We think we know what God should be speaking to somebody else or what they should be hearing from God. And, and, and tonight, I really want us to focus not on what God might be speaking to someone else, but what God would speak to you and to me. Because believe me, there's something for everybody tonight. Okay. If you have a Bible, otherwise I think we're going to have the uh, verses up here. I'm going to be uh, reading John chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. And if you're taking notes, this is point one. And it's uh, God's heart for our brokenness. As he, speaking of Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he would be born blind. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In that culture, it was commonly thought if you were born with a physical defect, or if you acquired some type of defect physically, it was a clear sign of God's judgment and God's disfavor and God's punishment on you. And so the disciples are uh, just like you and I today. They're trying to make sense of their world. And they've got a, a very clear idea of how it should be, what fair would be, that, that God punishes the sinful and, and he blesses those that are not sinful and they see this man born blind and this is a really tough case for their worldview because they're just trying to work this thing out. He was born blind. And, and you can see in the text 
that they're still not willing to let go of this, this relationship to, of sin and judgment, and therefore he's blind. And he says, Lord, was it, was it this man's sin? Did he do something wrong in the womb? Did he look the wrong way in the womb? I mean, this is just, it's ridiculous that it would be his, his sin that he would be born up. But this is how embedded this thinking is. And they're trying to make clear. And if it wasn't his sin, then we also know that sin passes down from the parents. Was it his, his parents' sin? We're trying to understand our world and why would something this tragic happen? And Jesus says it was neither his sin nor his parents' sin that he was born this way. But that the work of God might be revealed in him. And of course, this man was healed and his eyes were opened. And Jesus calls the work of God his healing. The work of God is him seeing. The work of God was not that he was blind. The work of God was that he could see. So that leaves us with the question of why was he born blind? It wasn't that God certainly didn't make Adam and Eve blind. So that's not how he originally created human beings. He created them with sight. It's not his sin or his parents. So why was he born blind? Well, because of sin in general, because sin is in the human race, because brokenness is in the human race, and DNA is passed down and that is not perfect, that is, is spoiled. And, and the Bible says that sin compounds over generations and weaknesses, physical defects in genetics build up over generations so that people can actually be born blind. Now, everybody that's blind, sometimes it's because of an accident, often it's become of, because of a disease, that blindness sets in. But in this case, he was born blind. Now I want to talk for a second about shame. There are two types of shame. One is shame that results from something you did that was wrong. You did something wrong. You are ashamed of it. And you regret it. Now, the good thing about that shame is you don't have to make your identity in that bad thing you did. You can start doing good things. You can say, you know, that was a bad day, but that's not who I am. My identity is not that. That was just, I did something bad that I regret now, and I've moved on, and that's not who I am. Okay, so that's one kind of shame. Shame from something you did. But there's another type of shame that's much more insidious than that. And that is feeling shame for who you are. It's very hard to read this story and the disciples are talking right in front of this man. 
They are so callous to how their words wound people. This is their, the top spiritual leaders, the top apostles. Um, the guy is right there. It's like he's not even in the room, and they're talking about his sin and his blindness, and he, he is born blind. He has been born broken. And there's nothing he can do to fix himself. There's, there's no, every morning he wakes up, he's blind. And, and, and he hears people talk about it being God's judgment or being God's this or God's that. And er, there's nothing he can do. This is how he is. And you can imagine the wounds of rejection and the frustration. Now we know that when the kingdom has fully come, everybody will be totally healed. Praise God. We also know that sometimes that healing comes in this life. Like this guy, he got healed. Sometimes the evidence of the kingdom of God is here. We had a, we had a lady healed this morning of a back problem. I mean instantaneously healed. Praise God. Wow, awesome. But we also know that the kingdom isn't fully coming until Jesus comes back. And sometimes, sometimes that full healing doesn't come. So here's my question. Is a blind person welcome to come to our church? Can a blind person be here? Or over time, are they going to feel like they're not really wanted because they should be getting better? They shouldn't be blind anymore. We believe in healing here. Can we allow that somebody that's blind is among us even if they're not all better? I would sure hope so, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you hope that the church would be a place where people could be? Wouldn't you hope that we would become as you are come in your brokenness and we're not, we don't have a timetable for you to be better by and then you're out? I would hope that this would be a place of unconditional love and acceptance. So here's the question, big question. Are people born with same-sex desires or do they choose it? Well, I've done a, a lot of research, a lot of reading on both sides. I've, I've read tons of stuff, books on it. Here's what I've got. Some are born that way. Others have experiences their youth, in their youth, some type of abuse, some type of molestation that directs them that way. Some males come into puberty without a good relationship with their dad, with a distant relationship, a longing for a same-sex male relationship that was never there. And when puberty comes, there is confusion when the desires kick in and they haven't made that first bond yet. Females sometimes have a dysfunctional relationship with their fathers and just reject men altogether, giving them only one expression. Others are just trying to find their identity. And if it seems that they don't fit with what a man is supposed to be or what a woman is supposed to be, Confusion sets in. They get, start getting picked on at school and start getting 
called gay or lesbian or different. And of course, the enemy always takes advantage of confusion. Others, just to be frank, don't fit into any neat category. One man I had the privilege of interviewing had a good relationship with his father. Looked at pornography in his teenage years, and it was as if that was a a button that, that tapped a weakness in his nature and that's when the homosexual desires came. It wasn't, it wasn't homosexual pornography. It was just it was heterosexual. But it was, he pointed to that time as the time that it hit him. It was a weakness that was tapped. Now it is hard. It is hard for Christians to accept that same-sex desire that somebody could be born that way. Well, even as we have physical DNA that has been broken, physical DNA that we inherit, that that we, we inherit weakness, we also have spiritual DNA. Jesus said that, that sin visits four generations and the accumulation of sin, and when one generation gives in to a certain desire, when one generation gives in to sin, and you maybe, you, they, of course, they think it's just me. I'm not hurting anybody else. I'm just choosing this. That weakness actually gets passed down and grows and grows and grows. And so people can be born with a carnal nature, a sin nature that has a pre programmed weakness in it that just the right time, the right um, catalyst, and it goes off. Now, in case that's difficult for you, I got news for you. This is all of us. We're, we were all born broken. We were, we were all born with weaknesses. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that every single one of us has an easily besetting sin. Here's what's confusing. We don't have the same one. So our area, you know, well, that's not so bad, but other people's areas, that's bad. That's, that's really bad. Well, mine, you know, I've just had that all my life. I, you know, I, I worry all the time. I'm afraid all the time. And certainly that wouldn't be sin. Well, that you're not trusting God. There's all kinds of brokenness that people are born with. People are born with an alcoholic temperament and that what would be okay for somebody else is not okay for somebody that's got that weakness in their carnal nature. That is a weak spot and they've got to have guards up. They've got to have people with them. We're going to put the watchdog out because that is an area of weakness. I, don't, I just don't think it's fair that God would let somebody be born broken. Well, let's talk about fairness. Consider this. First, just so we understand this, same-sex desire is not sin. Just the desire itself is not sin any more than blindness is sin. It is brokenness. It is a vulnerability that can lead to sin, but being broken is not sin. In fact, God is close to all those 
who are broken in any way. That's Psalm 34, 18. Jesus died to heal us and to change us. He heals the brokenhearted. He's anointed to heal the brokenhearted. But we need to be very careful about what we mean by healing. See, in physical healing, you can be completely physically healed. But spiritually, it is different. The gospel does not promise to change your sin nature. The gospel does not promise to make your sin nature less sinful. Here's what the gospel does. The gospel invites you to die to your sin nature, to live dead to your sin nature, and to walk in the Spirit. The gospel gives you a new nature, but it doesn't take out the old nature. Galatians 5.16 says that the Spirit wars, it fights against the carnal nature. And then Paul says this, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It does not say, if you walk in the Spirit, you will no longer have the desires of the flesh. But when you come to Christ, when you're filled with the Spirit, it can seem like you are so free that sin, sin, truly, sin doesn't have any power over you. You don't have to walk in it. You don't have to... But the idea that the sin nature is no longer there is a lie. John, 1 John says it. If anybody says he has not sin in him, he's a liar. Sin, sin, the sin nature is still in us. That doesn't mean we have to walk in sins, plural. We can walk in the spirit. We can walk under the blood. We can walk in the light. We don't have to go back there. In June, a huge organization named Exodus International closed its doors down in Texas. It was open for 27 years, and it was uh, about people coming out of the homosexual lifestyle. Closed its doors. The president, Alan Chambers, um, he made this comment on the closing of this ministry. I'm sorry for the pain and hurt many of you have experienced. I'm sorry that some of you spent years working through the shame and guilt you felt when your attractions didn't change. I'm sorry we promoted sexual orientation, um, change efforts and reparative theories about sexual orientation that stigmatized parents. Here's why they closed their doors. Alan Chambers, who was the president, was, came out of a homosexual lifestyle and... He got married, heterosexual marriage, and promoted the idea that, that you are supposed to be completely free from all homosexual attraction, all same-sex attraction. And that if you were sincere and if you did everything right and you did everything they told you to do, that you would not experience this again. Well, here was the problem. It was a lie. <laughs> And he lived with it. I mean, when he was in full revival and at the beginning, it felt like he was completely free and completely changed. But over time, he was living a lie because in his weakness, he still was tempted that way. 
And according to what he was telling everybody, you shouldn't be tempted that way anymore. If God's rescued you, if God saved you, then you shouldn't have this conflict anymore because Jesus saves completely. And so it put pressure on people to fake it. You make a whole Pharisee community of people that have got the banner up that we are free from the sin nature and we no longer have this and we're all pretending like this isn't a struggle anymore. And so if anybody is struggling, they can't confess it to anybody. They can't even let anybody know because we're not supposed to have this. And so it gets driven deeper and deeper and deeper. When, of course, the most important thing in Christianity to walk in freedom is to be honest. To have a a, a culture where you can confess your sins and be forgiven and be embraced. Redemption does not remove the sin nature and its weaknesses. It invites us to live dead to them and to walk in the Spirit. You can be totally physically healed in this life, but spiritual wholeness will not come until Jesus comes back and we lose the sin nature. All right, here's our second passage for this first point, uh, John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded, commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they, were, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman, where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Women, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on. And sin no more. It's a very, very important passage. These, the Pharisees come in the name of upholding the law. That they're concerned about the law. That the law will be upheld. That God's holiness is at stake here. They don't care about the law. Because the law says that the man and the woman are supposed to be stoned. And they didn't bother to bring the man. They just brought the woman. So the idea that this is all about their desire to uphold the law is not true. However, it's a big issue for Jesus. Because Jesus did not come to do away with the law. Jesus came to uphold the law in every way. There are only two times in the Old Testament where God himself wrote. He wrote wrote through prophets. That's different. But him directly writing... He only wrote twice, and that was the Ten Commandments. He wrote the Ten Commandments twice. Remember, the first batch got broken, and God wrote them again. And this is the only two times in the New Testament where God directly writes. And once again, he writes twice. I think Jesus is saying, don't tell me what the law says. I'm the giver of the law. 
I know that law inside and outside. Everything Jesus did and said about himself was based on the law. The idea that the Old Testament is somehow disconnected from Jesus is absurd. Everything Jesus said about himself was a quote from the Old Testament. He came to uphold the law. And the reality is, is the law does say that if a woman and a man are caught in the act of adultery, that those that found them out are to bring them and they are to stone them in front of the community. The penalty is death. The civil law of Israel demands death. So Jesus says to them, whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. Because there's something about those civil laws of Israel. Did you know that every civil law of Israel demanded death? If you broke the Sabbath, death. If, if, you, if you didn't do X, Y, if you, if you cursed your parents, death. The soul that sins dies and God's holiness demands death for sin. When Jesus, when Jesus is alone with this woman, the only way he can say the words, neither do I condemn you, is to be willing to die for her sin. The only authority that he has to let her go is that he would die instead of her. Some woman caught in the very act. And Jesus looks at her and says, I'll take that death. I'll die for that sin. That's how he has the authority to say, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But what I want to bring your attention to is the heart of God towards sinful people. This happened to me. We were, we were uh, Mad City was going, and um, I was over here for a pastor's meeting. I will never forget this. We were in that office. It was the conference room at that time, and we were having a, a time of prayer. I don't even know what they were praying for, but I know what I was praying for, because right before I came to that pastor's meeting, somebody had told me, that we had some men in our congregation that were taking advantage of our single women and they were using religion and using God and they were just trying to, um, yeah, you know what, you know what they were trying to do. They were trying to get them in bed, basically. And even using God and using church and, and I was hot. I was so angry. I was so... Pastors feel like they're here to protect everybody, from, especially from each other. And, and, and we, at least to be a safe place. And then at least you can come to church and not be hurt by somebody at church. That's why there's leadership. So that if somebody's hurting one another, the leader can step in and say, God's made me the leader so that you guys can't do that anymore. You've got to say you're sorry and whatever. Anyway, um, so I'm just, I'm just mad. I'm going to preach this text on Sunday. And I'm walking back and forth in this pastor's meeting. And all I'm thinking about is how strong this is going to be. And it's going to be about go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Christianity that does not say go and sin no more is not Christianity. And I'm just, I'm just huffing and puffing about how strong this message is going to be against sin. And I have a thought 
And the, the reason why I believe it's God is because there was no way I was going to this thought. And here it came. It just came as clear as could be. Here's, here was the thought. The power to go and sin no more is in hearing the words, neither do I condemn you. That ultimately, the reason why people stay in sin is because they don't hear, neither do I condemn you. They still live in the shame. And when you feel dirty, you end up playing in the mud. And that, that Jesus had an, actually a redemptive word for Sunday about the power of his cross to remove sin, to remove shame, to remove guilt, and to, to, to make us feel forgiven so that we can walk in the light. His heart, which was shown on the cross when he died, is not to bring judgment on us, but to forgive us and set us free so that we can walk with him. All right. I think we're on point two now. Point two. Is sex outside of marriage really sin? Right now, we are in a culture war in this country. It's actually not much of a war because it's very one-sided. Hollywood, who takes, has taken over the, the airwaves and the, and the internet and, and all the, the movies, has, has got a doctrine that is just right in the face of God. And it, here's the doctrine. Sex is fine anytime anywhere, with anyone, and anybody who says otherwise is a narrow-minded bigot. And they are just trying to oppress you, and they're trying to squelch you, because you are a sexual being. Of course, they don't say all this, but you were evolved as a sexual being, and it's healthy to have free expression. So sex is, and they will, they will take really good movies and they're just like, well, do we have a scene in there where somebody's committing premarital sex so that we can keep that message going? No, we don't have that yet. Get that in there. Get that in there. Especially if it's a good movie. Get somebody sleeping with somebody that's not married. Because, because this is the mantra that it is absolutely okay to have sex out of marriage. And Hollywood has worn this culture down. Something fierce. And today, um, we've kind of lost track of the whole thing. What does the Bible say? What the Bible says, it's just really clear. The Bible says that God designed marriage. He made marriage. And that he created sex for, within the safety of a merit, committed marriage relationship. That is where he gave that's the whole goal, the whole purpose of sex was not just reproduction, but enjoyment within the safety of marriage. Well, um, we 
think otherwise. And so we're just going to do it. We're going to do it our way. And, and we can make as many rules as you want to. And, and it's not, this isn't new. This was back then too. They had redefined marriage back then. Jesus said to them, if anybody divorces his wife and remarries for any other reason than marital unfaithfulness, um, then he is committing adultery and he is making her commit adultery. And all that is a reference to is, is they had made a rule at their time, their state had made a, a rule that you could, you could divorce for any reason. And you could just say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you three times because you didn't like her cooking or you didn't like, uh, you didn't like her breath in the morning or whatever it was, any reason. Uh, I, and so I, I'm divorced and before the state, I am divorced and it's a legal divorce. And then I'm going to go marry somebody else and, and God says, you can call it whatever you want to, but I'm still God and I've got my own definition and unless there was marital unfaithfulness, I see you still married to that first one. I don't care what the state says. I don't care what laws you make up. I see that person still married to the first one. And so when they get married and they have their first act, that is actually an adulterous act. And, and if that's a situation and you're in a second marriage, all I'm just saying is, just call that what it was. It doesn't mean that you're not married anymore. You could just ask forgiveness. It's just a bad foundation, isn't it? It'd be a very bad foundation. But I'm not, I'm not talking about it. All I'm saying is this. That's not our topic tonight. Our topic tonight is um, this idea that we can redefine things and that somehow God's going to follow along with that. And that somehow we can make rules and God's like, oh boy, I never thought of that. You guys are so smart. You're right. That is so unfair. I feel bad for you guys. Okay. Um, fornication, which is sex before marriage, is more common and just as much sin as those who pursue an active homosexual lifestyle. Just because our culture accepts things does not mean God does. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Uh, it's actually the second half of verse 9. And he's speaking it to all of us. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is just exactly what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Jesus has died for where we've been. He's died for every sin you've, every sin that's been committed in this place, Jesus died for it. The question is not where we've been. The question is where we're going. He has a new identity for all of us. We are not what our brokenness has made us feel like. We are not what our sins have made us. In Christ, we are the favored sons and daughters of God. And that is how he sees us. 
please don't make your identity in your brokenness. Please don't make your identity in what sin has made you or threatened to make you or even what your desires cry out for. That, I'm not saying you don't have them. I'm saying that's not who you are. God has a new identity for every single one of us. His favored children. Do not be deceived. Here is the problem with deception. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make up my own rules. I'm going to change the rules, and I'm going to say something the Bible says is wrong, and I'm going to make it okay. Well, that's fine. You're certainly free to do that. God lets everybody do whatever they want to do. But you're not going to have God's presence and power and blessing. You're going to end up with a God of your own making. If you defy the rules that God has made and try to change them and then still, I'm still going to claim God and I'm still going to claim Jesus. and I'm still, this, is, this is tough. This is very tough for our culture. I deal with this all the time because people, sometimes they come and they, they want me to marry them. And they, I, this happens all the time. They've been coming to church. They like me. They like the presence of God they feel here. They've had some experiences of the touch of God. And, and God's even convicted them. And they want to do what's right, so they want to get married. And they're coming to do something right. We realize we need to get married, and we'd like you to do the wedding. I'm like, I am so honored that you would want me to do the wedding. And I, and I always say this. I, we'd have to do a little counseling first. And that first counseling session is brutal. Because in that first counseling session, I have to give them my rule, which is the only way that I could marry you is if first you repented to God for all premarital sex and confessed to him that it was sin and agree with God about it being sin. Then you would have to confess to each other and ask each other to forgive each other. And then on top of that, you would have to abstain and, I, and not sleeping together anymore <laughs> and being strong. That's not going to happen. You would have to abstain until the wedding. And I say this all in a very gentle way because here's the reason why. I want God's presence at your wedding. I want God's blessing on your marriage. How do you thumb your nose at God and his commands and then expect him to bless you at your wedding? You've you got to agree with God. You've got to agree with God. Come to the light. The light is your friend. It is not your enemy. But, but we didn't know. I know you didn't know. I know the culture says it's okay. I know there's all kinds of pressure. And I know that it's hard but you can get, probably get a number of other people to marry you. This is, this is what would have to happen. And you're not going to do it in front of me. This is a private thing. It has to be real. You have to confess this as sin before God. And ask each other to forgive you. And you know what? People want God. And people know when things are wrong. And, and they don't want to be at odds with God. 
I don't know that I've ever had a couple say, then you're not going to marry us. They say, you know what? You're right. You're right. God wants every single one of us guys to have his presence to have his blessing, to have his favor just resting on us. Even though we're broken, even though we're sinners, we can have the presence of God, but you can't change God because the Bible says in the end times, people are going to have a form of godliness, but deny its power. They're not going to have any of its power anymore. They're going to try to get as much God on whatever they're doing as they can and say, we're God too, and we love God too, and, but not have that presence anymore. And that favor because they changed, they changed, tried to change God. All right, so here's my last point. There's four groups of people that are here tonight that I believe God has a word for. And the first one is you are here and you are clearly um, a heterosexual. Here's what God has for you tonight. First, because he loves us so much, he wants us to repent of any sexual activity outside of marriage and ask for his forgiveness, as well as asking him for grace to live celibate until you are married. What does that mean? That means just living dead to self, dead to that sexual raging desire, whatever it is, and say, God, I'm grabbing a hold of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push into Jesus instead of giving into that. Lord, forgive me and, and break. Break that hold and, and, and assist me. Secondly, to repent of attitudes of judgment toward people who are experiencing same-sex desires. There's a lot of repentance that needs to to go on, not just for attitudes, but words spoken. There's been a lot of stuff said that has been out of fear. People don't want to be think that, that they're gay or that they're a lesbian. So they, they say mean things. They say things about homosexuals. There's, there's jokes about homosexuals. And do, do we ever consider that probably people in the room that were sharing those jokes have... Some of them have same-sex desire, and this just makes them feel like I will never, ever tell anybody or confess anything to anyone. Or they get so oppressed and so shamed that eventually they come completely out of the closet and, and screw the world, this is who I am, and deal with it. And sometimes we're the ones that have pushed people in that way. Words spoken out of fear or defensiveness. Or how about this one? This attitude of just being so sure of how things are without really ever bothering to understand the issue that others are dealing with. You know the funny thing? Is for somebody that's experiencing same-sex desire one of the main things they need to walk free from it is same-sex relationships that have no sexual overtones. They desperately need friendships with the same sex. But when we're operating in fear, when we're operating in all kinds of things, we give them exactly the worst thing, and that is rejection. 
and as heterosexuals, the church in general, we just need to repent. We just need to ask God to forgive us for being ignorant. There's no, no sin in being ignorant, but speaking in our ignorance and taking strong stands in our ignorance. And it, it's, just, it's just been bad. And, and I appreciate Exodus International um, leading the way. And I'm not saying that there are not other great places that are helping homosexuals that have been active to come out of that lifestyle. There's another one. I just read a whole website. And I read every single testimony of people that are down there and that are walking in that ministry. And not one of them, not one of the testimonies said, I no longer have any desires for the same sex. Not one of them. Every testimony was, I am, I'm walking in the Spirit. I, 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 am, I, I, I still experience some, but, but people are there for me, people are around me, and some of them have married heterosexuals now because you can still have that relationship. It's just important to be honest and know what your weakness is. Anyway, why am I going there? We're talking to heterosexuals. Okay, that's one. Here's two. You are a young person here with traits that are opposite um, the stereotypical male or female in our culture and you are confused about your identity. You're, you are a male, but you don't like football and guns. You like singing and dancing and flowers. You are a female, and you would rather play soccer and volleyball and compete than, play, than, than get all dressed up and play house. God has a message to you as males. You are 100% male. You are uniquely made. You are a male. And God made every one of us different. He's got a message for females. He loves you. He affirms you. You are 100% female. And it doesn't matter that you don't like dolls and you don't dress up and that you like football and, and stuff that guys like. The enemy tries to get into our confusion, and especially when people are talking and especially in the current climate where everybody is trying to find their identity. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm this. And, and of course, the enemy latches onto that. I want you to know that he likes you. He wants you to be you filled with the Holy Spirit. Please do not let the enemy confuse you into thinking that you are gay or lesbian um, just because you're not like the stereotypical American male or female. That's, that's the second group. Here's the third group. You deal regularly with same-sex attraction, but you have not acted on your desires by embracing the homosexual lifestyle. First, I want to really encourage you, if that is you, do not make your identity in your same-sex attraction. You are not a homosexual just because you have those desires. You are not gay. You are not lesbian. You are a child of God that has a weakness. 
You are a man or you are a woman that has a weak area, an easily besetting area, and I'm not promising that if you live in the carnal nature that it will ever go away in this life. But don't make your identity there. I, I love a lot of the stuff that Alcoholics Anonymous has done and Alcoholics Victorious has done. I love a lot of it. I appreciate the openness. I appreciate the ownership of sin. But for a Christian to say these words, I am an alcoholic, and have to say that again and again and again, it really seems like you're making your identity in what's broken. I'd rather say it this way. I am a favored son of God. I am a favored daughter of God. But I've got a weakness and I need help, and I need to con- confess that I could go back there and other people can have a drink and a drink or two and be fine, but the idea that I'm going to be healed as an alcoholic, so that here's what, ha- here's what happened in Christian groups. They would say, you're healed. Well, if I'm healed, then I can have a drink like anybody else could have a drink. And one drink, and they're right back in it. And that's why they got rid of the idea that you can be healed of alcohol. Sin nature doesn't get healed. Nor do you have to make your identity in it. Does that make sense? I'm a favored son of God. I'm a favored daughter of God. But I've got a weak area. But I've got people that I'm being honest with. I'm dying daily to that desire. And I'm embracing the grace of God. If you are experiencing same-sex attraction and you were abused sexually or verbally when you were young, I want to urge you to own the fact that you were sinned against. This is not your fault that you were molested. This is not your fault that you were called names. That was sin against you. The importance of calling it sin against you is so that you can forgive it. So that you can bring it to the cross. You can say, Jesus, you have forgiven me. Lord, I forgive them. When you make excuses for other people and why they did it, and and you kind of, you can't forgive excuses. You can only forgive sin. Call it sin, because it is sin. And then renounce anything that the enemy might have gotten in through that weakness. Any demonic thing. Demons try to come in through especially bitterness and unforgiveness and and can bring a cloud of oppression. And God wants you free from any demonic oppression. The gospel doesn't remove the sin nature. We've already talked about that. But it does remove demonic oppression. Amen? Amen. Find friends to confess um, that this is in your heart. I just want you to know, I know a few Christians that have dealt with same-sex desire for many, many years. They are warriors in the kingdom. So some of the greatest Christians I know. It's just like some people that are married and it's an unhappy marriage and that their spouse is just checked out. But they, because God said stay with them, they're staying with them. And what happens is they just launch in godliness. And they haven't had sex for years. They've had to be celibate because there's nothing going on here but they're in God. What would I say with those with same-sex attraction? Um, you've got two choices. I, I talked to this, uh, interviewed this man, and he, he's just very 
just open and honest. He said, I could, I, I've got two options and I know what my options are. Just to continue to live celibate and just keep giving this to God and, and, and walking this out. Or I could be married someday. I could see myself married. I'd have to be open with my wife that this is a temptation for me. But it's not like sex with the opposite sex is repulsive. It's just, it's just messed up a little. And, and in the Holy Spirit, he certainly, when we're walking in the Spirit, can bring out that part. And so there could be happy marriages of people that struggle with same-sex desire. Does that make sense? But you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest with your spouse uh, or fiancé or, or whoever because to, to, keep, to try to keep things in the dark empowers darkness. We need, to, we need to walk in the light, and that doesn't mean you've got to tell everybody everything, but a few people need to know and, and be accountability. And then finally, last group is for practicing homosexuals. And I want to turn to Luke chapter 5. Just read a passage in Luke 5 to practicing homosexuals, and, and then we're going to open it up for comments and questions. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After that, he, Jesus, went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And if you are actively in the homosexual lifestyle right now, I want you to know something. You have a friend in Jesus. Jesus likes you. Jesus wants to come over to your house. People liked Jesus. And he came to call not religious people that are pretending to be something they're not. He came to call people that were willing to own their brokenness and their sin. And he calls us to repentance. His mercy and his love calls us to repentance. Here's what repentance is. It says it to Matthew. It's interesting. Matthew's a tax collector. The way they made money was on the backs by oppressing people. And it's funny that what Jesus speaks to Matthew about is not his financial dealings. You know what he says to him? Follow me. Repentance is when you change lordship. You were in charge of your life. You were the one that decided what was right and wrong. And now you're letting Jesus be in charge. That's what repentance is, is letting Jesus be in charge and, and then just letting him change you. He's going to shine his light into area after area after area. He's going to make you own it. He's going to make you confess it. And then he's going to empower you to change that area. It's one area at a time. And anybody in this place that's walked with God for a while knows this is how it works. And I don't even know if the first area he's going to go to is going to be your homosexual activity. The first area might be unforgiveness of your dad. I don't know where he's going first. 
But he's calling all of us to stop being our own lords, to accept him as our Savior and as our Lord, and to repent of being our own. So, that's all I've got. Let's pray, and then we'll open it up for comments and questions. God, I just thank you for all of us that are here right now in your presence, under your word. We just want to say, God, we are so, so sorry for all of our sins. We ask you to cleanse us and wash us. And Lord, we're, we're also asking you, God, to forgive us for our pride that wants to hide our brokenness. Lord, we're all, everybody in this room, we all, we're all in the same family, broken. And Lord, we're asking for your love, for your anointing, for your spirit to bring healing to our hearts. Lord, we live in a culture right now that's kind of hard to live in because just a lot of public stuff is absolutely against what you have said is wrong. And they're saying it's right. And you said this, you warned cultures that when you called what is wrong right and what is right wrong, that, that that's, that's called deception. God, we don't want to be deceived. Whatever we are, God, we don't want to be deceived. So would you wash us, God, of every way that this culture has tried to conform our minds and our thinkings into its own image? Help us to embrace you, God. Lord, forgive us of our church culture that has often been very rigid and mean and embraced the law rather than your heart of redemption that says, my heart is neither do I condemn you. Lord, we want to hear that over our own lives so that we can walk in that spirit towards others. You said to your disciples, you actually said to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I don't desire sacrifice. I desire mercy. Lord, would you give your church hearts of mercy? Would you give me a heart of mercy? Your heart of mercy towards people. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for dying for us. And thank you, God, that you're not thinking about our past. You died for our past. Help us all to walk into a future with our identity in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The same thing that we see in the Bible, and I just wondered if you have any comments or thoughts on that. Well, um, just in the passage in... Sec, in second, in second, oh, re, repeat the question. Yes. Um, is, homo, is, is homosexuality the same as idolatry? And some have said in the Bible they're the same thing, so maybe what we call homosexual today was actually idolatry then. Is that pretty much the question? Um, I just think they're in different categories. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves. Nor th they're just in a different category. So the idea that that's a different, or somehow those are the same thing, and, and 
It's, and it's, once again, it's not those that have same-sex desires. It's those who offend homosexually. And so it's, it's once again, the act. It's not that you have a fleeting desire for somebody else's wife, and therefore you're an adulterer. No, that's a temptation. You can resist that. You can stand against that. And it's when you act on it and go the whole way, or lust in your heart, Jesus said, you've committed adultery. And so just because you have bad desires does not mean you are those desires. So, okay, somebody else in the back there, Mike, and then we'll go over here and then over there. Tom, that was really good. I'm really, I love how you addressed everything. Two thoughts that I had while I was listening. Um, The first might be out of scope, so feel free to tell me to ask it another time. But you talked about God uh, creating marriage and defining marriage. There was a season of life for me in Europe where that was under a lot of fire, and I didn't understand from the word any particular creation of like a marriage as we know it today. And what I came to understand is that to God, marriage is the first person you sleep with, you're married to. Don't ever sleep with anybody else again for as long as you're alive. (laughs) And that's marriage. That's kind of like Adam and Eve. There was nobody else. They were there. There was no wedding ceremony. There were no witnesses other than the Lord. (laughs) So I'm curious if you can speak on that. Yeah, a bit. Sure, sure. And there's a second question I have, but I'll let you speak to that first. Well, I would say this. I mean, God, in making Adam and Eve, um, he gives what marriage is going to be for those that come after Adam and Eve. And it is, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Now, so far, there's no sex. It is a commitment. It is a leaving and it is a clinging to and the two shall become one flesh. That is sex. Sex actually is an intimacy. Sex is a celebration of intimacy. Intimacy is that commitment, that leaving and that cleaving to this one person. And that is, uh, for, for somebody that, that says, you know, well, in God's eyes, we're already married. We're just living together. And uh, you know what? If, you're, if you love this woman... It's usually the man. Then man up and get her to an altar and confess it in front of friends and don't be ashamed and make a commitment for the rest of your life. That's marriage. Good answer. Uh, The second one is uh, I have a friend and... uh, for all intents and purposes, he was trying to fight it out as person number three in your last deal, actively having these desires, yep. and it was crushing yep. him. Yep. And in the end, he left his wife and kids and just gave everything into that and became, well, I'm tired of fighting who I am. This is it. I'm done. And I've, you know, I don't know how to respond to him because I, I don't want to shun him, be like, you know, whatever. That was horrible what you did to your wife and your kids and blah, blah, blah. And I don't care what, you know, it looked like or how it felt. You made a commitment to those guys. Uh, 
I want to respond with grace and, and love and tenderness and be there. Um, but I don't know how to yeah. speak about yeah. it in yeah. a way in which, you know. Uh, you know, I think this is the same way that you do in any situation when somebody has gone astray. You keep the bridge open. You keep loving them. I just, the, the last six months I've known this talk was coming. So I've cut out articles after articles. And one of them was in the USA Today. And it was by a homos- a, a guy that lived with the main temptation of same-sex desire, got married, had kids, then left her, went off, did his own thing, and realized, this is just wrong. And he repented. He came back to her. They are married again. They are a family again. He still has same-sex desires, but he is choosing to live this way for the sake of his family and his wife is, it, it's, it's, it's together. And so what do you do? You just keep loving people. You keep the bridge open. And when people are playing the prodigal and they're out wasting the money and loose living and all that stuff, you just keep the bridge open because God's looking for them to come home. God hasn't given up on them. God doesn't give up on anybody. And no, they're probably not coming to your doorstep right now. That's fine. But when they do see you, you have a smile on your face and keep loving them. Because the day is going to come when they've got the pig's food in their mouth and they're saying, they come to their senses and they're like, there's got to be something better than this. You know who they're going to go to then? Somebody that's not judged them, but loved them. And they'll say, hey, is there another way? And you're going to be there for them. Amen. Okay, right here. Uh, yes, Tom. I was, I was just wondering if same-sex marriages have uh, been performed in the uh, church. Same-sex marriage? Yeah. Has that perform- been performed here? Yeah. Nope. Oh, okay. Nope. Well, I, the, the reason I asked, I, I was brought up Catholic. Pardon? Can you just put it real close, bro, so that everybody oh, can hear? Okay. Yeah, I, there you I was go. brought up Catholic, and uh, uh, we dealt with seven sacraments and marriage being one of them between yep. man and woman. Yep. And uh, I, that's the main reason I asked the question. That's, wh- that's why a same-sex marriage would never be performed here. We believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's how God made it. Even though, and I want to say this, because this is important. When people are active in the homosexual lifestyle and they want to get married, can we at least commend them for wanting to be faithful? Can we at least see that they're trying to do something good and just not call the whole thing evil? They're trying to be faithful to one person. We can believe that they're broken. We can believe that there's deception involved. But at least let's look at the heart of what they're saying. They're recognizing betrayal is wrong. And and so there's something good. It's just like the people that are living together that want to get married. To just say, "You're, you're living together, that's wrong. And not see that, hey, they're trying to do something right. And, and, and we can help sort things out, but let's give people credit when they're trying to do something right and not just be against everybody all the time. All right, Dave, back here. I actually have uh, two points. Uh, one relates to a gay man that I knew uh, several years ago. He's moved from Madison area uh, just after the last conversation we had together. And when I, I had looked at the half a dozen studies indicating that uh, people were born gay, uh, trying to deal with that issue as opposed to a choice issue. And all six of those studies that I looked at, or five or six studies, 
were inconclusive. Having studied statistics, I know that significance is an important issue in any kind of statistical or scientific analysis. So I asked him about that, and he had been, he was a born-again Christian. Shortly after becoming a Christian, he read the Bible and determined that homosexual practice was against God's rules. So he became celibate, and the time we spoke, he had been celibate for 10 years or so. And he said that it wouldn't even matter if they had, if studies shown that they were born that way because of original sin. The same kind of problem that gives me the accent that you hear now, that things are not perfect. That's right. I'm not an Easterner. I was born and raised in Idaho where having an Eastern accent was forbidden. And we forgive you for that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and this man's still gay, and he still struggled, but he was open with that and had someone he could go to and discuss that with whenever he had problems. So the point about being open about sin is very important with that. Amen. The other point I wanted to make uh, has to do with human sexuality in general ever since the pill came in and I'm very much in favor of birth control but ever since the pill came in our tendency has been to focus on the emotional psychological issues of our sexuality which is why people who have used a whole variety of different forms of birth control and I've known several of these people and several different kinds of birth control who were surprised because somehow pregnancy occurred anyway. The point is, is that our physical makeup is a part of our sexuality. And to ignore that, you know, whether you're heterosexual or, or homosexual, you're born with a, homo- with a heterosexual body. That's part, that body is part of your sexuality. And if your psychological makeup is same sex, you need to deal with that issue, I think, in terms of your body as well. Ask yourself those questions. Now, my friend, some of you may even know this guy. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, He understood that, and he dealt with it. by being celebrate. That's good. That's good. And, and go ahead and give that to Dave. And I, and I would go a step further to say, you don't have to say I'm gay because I have same sex desire or lesbian because I have same sex. You can say I am a favored son of God that struggles in that area. And I just, I just don't, I don't want anybody to think they need to make their identity around brokenness. Okay? Go ahead. Um, my name is Darren, uh, I had some issues, it's sort of related, but it's kind of off the topic. Okay. But um, with, with me being part Cherokee, I wear my hair long. And I've heard it many, many, many times in different congregations and different people. I'm not saying you, but judgment is within the same thing. Yep. So yep. for 
a person to say men should not have long hair, I only see that one time in the Bible. And if you look at any picture of Jesus, he has kind of longer hair. Jesus was homeless. He didn't have anything, you know. And if you think about John the Baptist, he was living in the woods eating locusts, okay? He didn't have no barber, so think about this. You know, so my issue is how do I respond in love and kindness to someone who would approach me and say, hey, your hair is really long. I said, well, it's part of my culture. It's part of my yeah. heritage. Yeah, yeah. But also, God, I normally just tell him, God hasn't spoken to me to cut it. So why are you trying? <laughs> bro. <laughs> so how, you know. Here's how I'd start, bro. I would say, you know, in the Old Testament, um, Nazarites lost their power if they cut their hair. Yeah. And uh, so I, I just want to say we are so glad you're here. We love you. The, the church at large, we just need to stop looking at the outward. God does not look at the outward. Man looks at the outward. God looks at the heart. And sometimes the outward is covered with tattoos or covered with this or that and, and all kinds of stuff. And the heart is absolutely gold. And Jesus is very pleased and very honored. And it's just so important to lay down our outward judgments. And so... Bro, you wear your hair however you want to, man. We love you. All right. Um, I know some teenage boys that just graduated from um, La Follic High School. And they live around me. They live around my son. And they're really good kids. I mean, they're really becoming young men now. They're like in their early 20s. But um, they have some issues that they tell me that their own dad or their own uncle molested them. Yep. And now it's like, you know, I pray for them. Um, I don't deny, deny them, but I just got to always make sure that I'm around Joey all the time because I don't know what, you know what I mean? Yeah. But what do you do with these teenager boys that becoming young men that they've been sexual since elementary, middle school, and it just stopped a little bit before they graduate from high school. Yep. So yep. they're going through this trauma like, you know, they want to kill themselves because yep. that's the first, because yep. their pride is not like a woman. We got all these clinics. But what are these, where did these young guys go to for um, emotional help because they don't, go, they, they don't have good. The, the money for insurance? Right. Okay, so this is, this is the situation. She knows three teenage boys going to La Follette. All of them have been molested by... Step parents or uncles, they are a mess, they're suicidal, they're depressed. Where do they go? Here's where they go. They need to come to church. Church, are we ready? Are we ready for broken people to come in these doors? Are we ready for people that are depressed, that they might not even believe in God? And they certainly don't think God is interested in them. But the church is here. And we want to be there. And sometimes it's not them, them coming here. It's us going there. And to be God's hands out there and to say, to speak value into them, to speak some of the things I said here tonight. What happened against you was sin. It was a sin against God and it was a sin against you. But Jesus died for that sin. And Jesus can heal you. Jesus is anointed, it says, to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus is the answer for every human 
being for every form of brokenness and every form of sin. There is hope for those young men. That hope is not in medicine. I'm, I'm all for having medicine for symptoms and, you know, whatever psychologists can do and stuff. I'm not against any of that. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the only one that can make people whole again. Okay, Shelley? Well, recently there was an article in the news about a little boy, maybe six or seven years old, who believes he's a girl. He dresses like a girl and went to court. And that little boy now gets to use a little girl's room. So it's kind of tied into a little bit as, you know, how does transgender connect with homosexuality? And the people who believe that they should have been born a woman or they should have been born a man. You know, if you have these elementary kids moving up to middle class, yep. you know, yep. you know, as a parent or someone who talks into children's lives, you know, how do yep. you respond to that as a parent? You know, mommy, there's a little boy who dresses like little girl yep. at school and yep. he uses our bath. I mean, how do you, you know, the connection of that? And yep. I know they say it's different, but it, to me, it, it just leads into yep. homosexuality. Yep. So yep. I was curious about that, that. That's just a great question. Guys, the Bible says in Proverbs 4 to, above all things, guard your heart because the issues of all of life flow from your heart. Our identities are so important, what we live out of. And do you see that there is an attack of darkness against our identities? Do you see that there is just confusion been thrown into this culture and just trying to get people in insecurity, in fear, and getting them believing crazy things. And people are willing to believe crazy things. People are trying to find identity. They're trying to be okay. And, and so they, they make sense of things by trying to order their lives by, by taking any lie in, anything anybody says, anybody, anybody believes. So what do we do on the outside? We got somebody at our school, and here's our kids with those kids, and he's dressing like a girl. What do we do? Guys, there's brokenness. We say this to our kids. There's brokenness in the world. Pray for him. Love him. Be his friend. And, and, and pray that Jesus will heal him. I don't know what else we, we can do. Okay. Right here. Quint. Hey, Tom. Thanks for addressing a tough issue. I think you did a great job. <laughs> Thank and you, I appreciate bro. it, although I have a bajillion questions. I'm going to limit myself, okay? Uh, first of all, to the woman who has the young men who are sexually abused and can't find assistance, there's lots of great resources. If you want to touch base with me afterwards, I can help you find some good resources for these men. Okay, you guys can have right, that so, yeah. conversation well, no, we'll later. Talk about it afterwards. You guys can have and, that conversation And I have later. to respectfully yeah. disagree that, that Jesus is the answer for all of that. Jesus can bring the healing, but we don't tell people who've been in a car accident to pray. We take them to the hospital and we get them help, and I think these young men need help. And that that's help. why I say I am for all kinds of help. Everything that anybody can give at every step. And I'm absolutely not against medicine and all these other things. Ultimate healing comes from Jesus. That's all I'm saying. I want to expand on what Laura brought up earlier because I don't think that was, that was fully addressed in their other questions. One, uh, in the Old Testament, a lot of the issues of homosexuality are around t- male temple prostitutes. Yep. Not, at, at, when it's discussed, it's not necessarily discussed in the context of an intimate male-male relationship. 
in the New Testament, the term that we in, that we interpret as homosexuality, arsenokoitai, is only used at one time by Paul and not found in any other Greek texts or manuscripts that we know of historically. So how do we take those terms and say, this is absolutely what the Bible's talking about? Um, and my, my, my second question goes back to what Mike was asking about, about the definition of marriage. When we look at the Old Testament, when we take David, who was a man after God's own heart, who had wives and concubines and lots of other young women I'm sure he was familiar with, and, and we know his lifestyle was not monogamous, um, we know that it, that, that it was common for that sort of lifestyle, at least for wealthy men. So how does that, how do we wrap that up today with this good. concept of Very monogamous good. marriage? Very good. Um, first, let's go back to Laura's thing. Um, the idea of the male prostitutes being, being used in that, in that text uh, is nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, two different categories of people. The Old Testament, which I tried to say at the beginning, Jesus was absolutely behind the laws of the Old Testament. And in the list, in Leviticus 24 and other places, and I didn't bring them out, I could have, it, homosexuality is forbidden and condemned. And um, in, although the word isn't used in Romans chapter 1, God calls it a, a, a perversion when men are laying with men and women are laying with women. So I think that God made Adam and Eve having a desire heterosexual. That was God's original plan. Everything since then has been broken. And so some things have come up that are broken. And that, that, is, that is simply one of them. And the second question about David and all these multiple wives and all of these things, a lot went on and Jesus, they asked Jesus about it. Hey, this is how it was in the Old Testament. And Jesus said, a lot of things were allowed because of hardness of heart. But here's how it was in the beginning for this reason, a man will leave and he gives the thing and what God has joined together, let no man separate. One man, one woman committed together. That was God's original plan, Jesus says. A lot was allowed because of the hardness of heart. And the Old Testament is written in progressive revelation and a lot of stuff that God allowed in the Old Testament. It's a, you just, that's why, Old Testament is a very difficult book to understand. You really have to get into all of the biblical interpretations stuff. It's, it's absolutely God's word, but you're right. A lot of stuff went on. Earl. Okay, I've worked in uh, Madison since 71, and since that time I've always worked with someone who is a, a gay or lesbian. Uh, today at um, campus I work with... Uh, some of their couples, their partners, everything. As an evangelical, they would try to corner me. And uh, a discussion I had 10 years ago, I said, first of all, you know, I'm an evangelical, but I don't agree 100% with Jerry Falwell. So, you know, don't, everything he says doesn't mean I agree with it. And then Colossians, it does say homosexuality is a sin, but it also says in the same text that lying, uh, gluttony, backbiting, murder is sin. So all these things are sin. Then they would turn to me and say, but I was born this way. God made me this way. Now, for what you said in the beginning, are you agreeing that God made them that way? Or 
Could you clarify that for me? Yeah, absolutely. God did not make anybody homosexual, even as God didn't make anybody blind. That man was born blind, but the work of God was not that he was blind. The work of God was that he was made whole. Sin in the human race is broken. It's broken people. Everybody is born broken. We're born in broken ways. The disagreement with, with, with the homosexual community, with, with this talk tonight, would simply be this. They don't think they're broken. They think that's, that's something to be celebrated. It's beautiful. And this is how I was supposed to be. And we would disagree with that. I would, I, I, you can't win the fight of, you chose this. You weren't born that way. Th- that, it, that just doesn't hold water. They, they didn't ask for this. They've got de- spontaneous desires, same attraction. And in their mind, they were born that way. And my, my thing is, we're born broken. Everybody's born broken. We're bro- born in different ways broken. And this is yours. And Jesus loves you. Jesus is close to the broken. And he died for, for our sin and for our brokenness. And so um, I, I wouldn't contest that they were born that way. So, okay. Tom and then Jeff. Go ahead, Tom. Hi. Um, I don't know if you can answer this question in a general way or not, but how would you advise a Christian uh, asked to attend a same-sex marriage? You know, you, you know, I would, uh, wow. I would, I would probably say, um, you know my opinion. You know how I feel about it. You know that I, I don't believe in this, but I support you. And I would in some way make a gesture of support for the person whether it's attendance or going to the reception or sending a gift or the idea that some level of, of accepting the person is an endorsement of their sin, that's what they were always thought Jesus was. They would, Jesus would go over to, to Zacchaeus' house and they were like, you have just endorsed his sinful life. No, he wasn't doing that at all. He was saying, I love the person. And uh, did I hear somebody trying to, Chris, you got something to say on that, bro? Let's get let's get Chris going here because and and feel free to contradict what I just said, bro. Um, I've been asked to attend a gay marriage. It was actually my mom and her partner. Oh, you want me to stand up? All right, here I am. Hi, um, I was asked to attend my mom and her partner's gay marriage. Um, actually, not even attend to send a stone that was of memory, and it was just a special thing for them. And I chose not to. And I said, Mom, I can't do this. I said, I don't, I don't see it the way you do. I don't see it as marriage. And therefore, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I can't, I can't honor that request. And my mom was able to accept it. Her partner, though, had a very hard time with it. And I didn't know until a year and a half later when she said, you know, when you did that, I was really angry at you. And I said, this is not against you, Joe. This is, this is what I believe, and I need to stand in my convictions. Okay. And that's... And now we got another comment back here. Jeff, we are coming back to you, bro. If you have children downstairs, this is the time this to get them. This would be a them. great time to get those kids, yeah. As, as being the leader of a, of, of, of a flock and having two young children that are 12 and 9 years old, 
I've been invited to my brother-in-law's wedding. It was who was a homosexual, and they're somewhat they're somewhat confused, and I'm somewhat confused as well. And they also have a mother and father-in-law who are deadly against homosexuality, so they've heard both sides of the story. Yep. yep. And we're trying to figure it out ourselves, let alone trying to teach our children. Yeah. About it yeah. as well. Yeah, and I'm just asking for some some guidance or some ways to help my children with this. You know, I, I just I think this there's going to be tension around this issue, and everybody that's here has uh, somebody that's a homosexual cousin, or and you go to the family reunion, their partner is there, and and. Uh, at some level, you want to love people and open that bridge, and but also teach this idea of a clarity in God that there is a, a right and a wrong. And we don't do well, I don't think, as Christians with tension. And so we like to isolate. We like to just, you know what? I'm just going to put up these four walls. We're going to all retreat behind here, and we're just going to kind of wait for Jesus to come and get us. And I just think that's, that's not the heart of God. I, I, I just see in Jesus, he, there is tension around Jesus, and they're always upset with him, thinking he's endorsing sinners or things, and he's just out there bringing the kingdom of God. He's bringing the kingdom of God. He's, he, he looks at human beings. What, what was his look like at Matthew? It says that he looked into Matthew's eyes, and said, come follow me. And Matthew left his tax collecting business and just followed him. What kind of love? What kind of acceptance? What kind of... And I just feel like we need to be so filled with the Spirit. And we need to teach our young people to be so filled with the Spirit. And so carriers of the presence of God into a broken world that they're not on defense. They're not thinking about, oh, you know... If, I, if that person touches me, I might get leprosy. No, if I touch that leper, they might get healed. That's where we're coming from. I want to raise up kids that are not afraid to live in this world, but I also want to teach them discernment, te- teach them what's right and wrong, teach them, and, but not afraid of the world and not afraid of sinners and not afraid of people that have just made choices that are, are going in a different direction than us. Um, because the end's not written yet. And we're going to be there when they're ready to come home. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, Dave, where are you, Dave? Oh, there you are. Okay, because we got hands happening, bro. Guys, no one is going to think you're rude if you get up and leave at any point because this was supposed to end at 8. So please feel free to, to go, and we'll just keep doing this for, for a while. Jeff? Yeah, you brought it up too, but I want to reaffirm what you said. I went on a Years ago, I was on Willie Street, and we approached somebody who was homosexual, and he used that. Well, I was born that way, and this guy was with me. He was trying to convince him you were this or that, and you weren't born that way. You made the choice. And the Lord said to me, hey, yeah, he was. And I just said, look, I was born, and I showed him my, I showed what I was born with these tendencies. I said, yep. the thing is, yep. you were just plain born wrong, and I was born wrong. I needed to be born again, and so do you. That's it. <laughs> yes, That's, it's it. not how you were born. It's yes, about how you're born, you're born again. again. That's it. 
But you did address, and I want you to go there because uh, in Romans 1, maybe if you don't want to, you didn't go into Romans 1, and there's some things with me, I, I don't know if there's degrees of sins, but when you get in there about the idolatry and they don't want to retain God and their knowledge, and that goes yeah. into the women, and the man then it talks about the word reprobate or depravity. Mind, God gives them over. Um, yeah, is all I this wanna... thing of same sex, are, are they in a... Yeah, More no, worse degree? No, no. And what I, where I want to leave it tonight, Jeff, and I'm glad you brought that up, the idea that that sin is worse than this sin is worse than that sin, we just got to get out of that. Because I think that's what the Pharisees were doing. We've caught this person in the act of adultery. This is the bad one. And Jesus is like, if you haven't sinned, go ahead and throw that stone. Because every sin is worthy of death. <laughs> and, and so to, to classify this is worse or more reprobate than something else... I just, I just don't believe that. I, I, I think sin is sin, and all of it can be forgiven under the blood of, of Jesus. So, good. Johnny. Um, yeah, earlier when you were talking about, um, or what you just finished with, that no one sin is worse than another, yep. or I think you started to talk with the idea of come as you are, or what have yep. you. Regardless of if you're, you might be struggling with a certain temptation in one area. My question is, do we have a balance point, I guess, between like the, t- the category three people that are struggling with temptation versus what might be a category four person um, who's actively, deliberately, you know, not wanting to come to repentance and I think, and re- regardless of whether that be like heterosexual yep. or homosexual, yep. uh, the reason I ask that is I think of like First uh, Corinthians five, where Paul said, yep. "You know, you've got somebody in an incest relationship here. Yep. Put that person out of your midst. Yep. Get rid yep. of them. Turn them over to Satan, so that he yep. can eventually come to repentance." Yep. Is I guess what I'm looking for is, or the other the other thought that came to my mind is like in church leadership when it talks about like an elder must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. So I guess my question is... Is there there different levels and are there some that that need different treatment? Correct. And then I guess like you had said, because sometimes we can get on our little soapbox and be like, oh, you're not getting sanctified quite as fast as I would like you to be. Right, right. I guess, could you speak into that? Absolutely, absolutely. Guys, there's two different principles for church leadership that Jesus gave. One is the principle of the tares, and one is the principle of the leaven. Tares, Jesus says, do not go around trying to root up tares and get, he said, you don't know if they're wheat or tares. Let the tares and the wheat grow together. Don't try to figure out if everybody's in. Just allow, come as you are, Tears wheat, you don't know, you don't even have to worry about it. Just love them and bless them and preach to them. But leaven is different. When leaven is when somebody is actively teaching and promoting and affecting other people in the body and calling something that's sin as it's not sin. And it, it, Jesus rebukes them in Revelation 2, the church at Thyatira, because there was a lady in their midst who was a prophetess. She was using the prophetic, and she was teaching that immorality was okay. And Jesus said to the church leadership, basically, uh, I'm very angry that you haven't dealt with her. Church leadership needs to deal with leaven. When people are 
it's not that they're broken. It's not that they're struggling. It's that they are promoting something that is sinful to other people and drawing them into it. Church leadership needs to step in and say, "Uh uh-uh, not here. You, you are welcome to come here. You're welcome to stay here. But the idea that you're going to infect other people with something that is non-biblical, that's why there is church leadership. So it's not that, they're, um, that God doesn't love them. It's just God wants the church to be a safe place. Tares, yes. Leaven, no. So, good. Hi, I'm a public school teacher. Um, and I also have a daughter that is in elementary school and this is a very this is an area that I struggle with very much um, because you really are told that you need to support gay and lesbians um, to teach diversity which I don't have a problem with teaching diversity Um, recommended that you put up stuff in your room to support it as well Um, and and you don't I don't and I love on everyone, but I think a lot of people would be pretty surprised at what my beliefs are because mm-hmm. I haven't had the courage mm-hmm. to speak up and say what they are because that would take a lot of courage. And I have a daughter who I'm telling my beliefs to and teaching her what I believe God says in the Bible is, and I'm expecting her to stand up in school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, or uh, you know what I'm saying. I know exactly what and, you're saying. And and she has <laughs> she has a little. It's a little, it's somewhat of a different situation because I do have to be careful because of the role I'm in. But I yep. do know that there's times where I definitely could be speaking up when I'm not. I'm just looking for guidance and Absolutely. advice. And the other thing I wanted to ask was. I'm a semantic person. I get stuck on semantics. So like the word acceptance, could you just clarify, does God accept all people? Okay, that's, that's very good. God invites everybody to come just as they are. He invites them to come and own their brokenness and look to him as their healer. He takes people just as they are. Now, sometimes people don't want God as he is. <laughs> sometimes people, they don't want that God because they don't want a God that's got right and wrong. They don't want a God that's, that, that's going to change something. And God can't help being God. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so how do we, how, Christians should be the most tolerant people on the earth. God is into freedom, guys. He decided that he wanted people free even above them being saved. It's his desire for all to be saved, but his higher desire must be that all be free because he doesn't make anybody get saved. So he, want, he honors freedom. That's what he gets from people. Everybody is worthy of dignity, to be treated as valuable, and to be loved. Whatever choices they have made in their life, we love them just as they are. Now, God's presence God's word is, is coming through us. And we're not coming through that heart of judgment because that's not God's heart towards them. It is for them to own brokenness. And, and yes, we're in a cultural war that nobody wants to be called broken. And it's a war with God, really. The whole culture wants to say we have just evolved this way. We are what we are. And uh, 
there's nothing, there's nothing broken about us. In fact, as we're getting better and better on the next level of evolution, who knows, we might fly. Um, not that funny. Anyway, um, so any, we're, we're at a clash of culture. And I think in a public school teacher role, you've got that tension. And you've got to obey God. And you've got to, you've got to honor your principal. And you've got to honor those rules and have a submissive heart. But when God's saying to somebody asks you in private, you have got a right to say what you want to say. And uh, that is a fine line to walk. And, it's, and we're raising kids, if they're in the public schools, we're teaching them to walk a fine line. And, uh, but that's God's sending light into the darkness. Thank you for being in the public schools. You're a light. Hallelujah. Lord, give her courage in Jesus' name. Amen. Suzette. So in my family, I have a lot of homosexuals on my dad's side of the family. And um, so one of the things that we've, and this is just kind of to address, and it's just a comment, is we've always taught our kids to love the person but hate the sin. We're not the judge. And we're not going to win any hearts over if we condemn. So just, I mean, simply put, love the sinner, hate the sin. And I've had an opportunity to have those conversations with my brother. Just, he asked me, what do you think? How do you feel? Do do you love me? I'm like, absolutely. And I love Ray. I mean, they've been in our life as long as Tim and I have been together. Um, That doesn't mean I like what you do. Yep. I do things that you don't like. I do things that God doesn't like. It's life. So... And we're, we're at odds with, with the world. And the big, the big war in the church, it seems like it's about homosexuality. But it's not, really. It's actually about, is the Bible the word of God? Does God have the right to say what's right and wrong? Or do we get to decide? <laughs> that's, that's the bigger issue, the underlying issue. And every denomination is wrestling. It looks like they're wrestling with the homosexual issue. They're really wrestling with, is the Bible-inspired issue? That's the, that's the larger issue. All right. Where did that microphone go? Back there. Karen. Yeah. I just wanted to comment. Um, I think that was Joy over there. Um, I'm a nurse in a hospital in Madison and kind of run on that same line. And I work with, I've worked there for years, and there's several um, homosexual couples that I work with. And one of the girls, I knew this was going to happen because the Lord just laid on my heart about 10 years ago that she was going to confront me. And ask me because she knows I'm a Christian, and so she did confront me about eight years ago. And I had done some reading, and and I told her she just asked me, you know, well, what is your, uh, how do you support gay and lesbian? She says you're really nice to me, and so I think she thought she knew my position, but I told her my position was that um, I believed what Jesus told us in the Bible, and that's that a man he sees. Uh, marriage is one man and one woman, and that's my belief, and just kept it simple, and she said, well, I can't support you in your ministry anymore, and I said, well, that's okay, but I said, you need to know that I care about you, I care about your children, they have two little girls, and I said, "Um, I do pray for you, and she looked at me, and she said, you do? She goes, how can you be nice to me? And I said, well, because I care about you, and you also need to know when we go out and do our missions, 
we serve everybody. Um, our philosophy that we saw on the wall of a YWAM clinic several years ago was we treat Jesus heals. And so we've kind of adopted that um, saying. And we told her we treat many, many people. We treat anybody who comes into our path, whether they're Muslim, whether they're tribal. And I told her, I said, you know, a lot of the tribals, they have, the men have several husbands you know, or several wives, you know, 10, 12 wives. And I said, we serve them, we love them, and we treat them no differently. And, and she was just taken back. And over the years, she has continued to come to me, and she's asked me to pray for things for her. And, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's been, I was really scared at the time, eight years ago. But, um, you know, it's really been a great growing opportunity for myself. So I just wanted to share that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I just have a couple of statements that I wanted to make that you already touched on tonight, Tom. And one is uh, my, or I have two boys that both of them fit into that class that you were saying that they went into sports. Yeah. One was more artistic. The other one likes cooking. They're, they just, they did different things. And throughout their all throughout their middle school and high school years, they had students constantly saying, well, maybe you're gay. You must be gay, you know, that you, you're that way. Or, 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 or even going further than that, encouraging it, saying, well, yeah. you should be, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's yeah. okay and it's accepted and it's cool and this is, you know, the way you should be. Well, my one son has since uh, gone into a, a homosexual lifestyle and and a relationship and the person that he's living with now and um the other thing i wanted to say to that is it's kind of what you had said before about teaching your kids to love the sinner but hate the sin and i always thought my wife and i did a pretty good job of teaching the kids that but it was it was almost crushing for me to find out my son kind of ignored me for about six to eight months. And finally, by the encouragement of his sister, he came forward and told me while he had been avoiding me and, and told me about his lifestyle. And what he had said was he thought that I would disown him. Hmm. And he hmm. really felt that because of my beliefs that I would have nothing to do with him. And that was almost a bigger blow to me than hearing him say those words that he's in this lifestyle and and I think uh I think you know in a lot of ways we really need to do a better job of like you said with just loving them and being there for them and 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 being there for the broken um but going a step further than that is I you know I I struggle now that sometimes I'll reach out but then he still is kind of standoffish because he still knows where you know dad stands on that because of my belief in god's word and uh thankfully god has given me a helper here with with my wife that she's encouraged me to continue to just send text messages send you know just little things to say hey i'm thinking about you love you been praying for you 
Um, but beyond that, I was just wondering if there's anything that you could encourage me to do I take it any farther? Um, or like you said earlier with the prodigal, do I do I just wait and continue to show my love? But is there anything more? No, I, I think you guys are doing a great job. And I want you to know that the broken heart you feel is shared with so many of us that maybe our children aren't in a homosexual, but maybe they're in a pre-marriage they're living with somebody or they're they're doing this or they're doing that and and they've chosen to walk away from what is precious and valuable to us and and what I always come back to bro is you know we we did what we could we're, we're still trying to love them make a safe place for them and Proverbs says train up a child in the way they should go and when they are old they will come back to it they will walk in it and, and those seeds and everything you put into them and everything you're continuing to put into them is saying, God loves me, but he has standards that I'm breaking right now, and, but he still loves me. And, and because you're continuing to love, but you're not changing your rules, you're just loving him, um, the day is going to come when he's, I fully believe that, that there's going to be some brokenness and he's going to know I can come to dad. I can come to mom. And that bridge has stayed open. And I think you're doing exactly what a lot of us are doing <laughs> is we're, we're, we're not condoning something. We're just loving them. And um, wherever they're walking right now, um, that's just part of human freedom. God is really into human freedom. And it's very frustrating, especially for parents, isn't it? God just take the strings and make them do the right thing. And God's like, you know what? They're going to do the right thing, but they're going to do it because I, I won them and not because I made them. And, and so you're awesome. You guys are awesome. Thank you for sharing what you shared. Uh, <clears throat> my wife and I are involved in motorcycle ministry. And we, it's kind of along the same lines a little bit. We ride into rallies uh, with some of these motorcycle clubs, and there are people there that are murderers, rapists, drunkards, thieves, the whole nine yards. And you can walk into those places, and you can wave a big Bible and, and condemn them, and they'll run and reject you. But if you walk in there and you don't see any of that, you just see wounded souls and people who are hurting and empty, and you show those people love, God touches those people, and people who you'd never, ever believe would, would ever accept the Lord have tears in their eyes, and they're open to a loving gospel. Awesome, bro. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good. Okay, we'll do a couple more, and then we will... Uh, Pray to close, and then if you've got something else you want to ask or something, I'm just going to have you come, and we'll, we'll do it one-on-one, but this has been so great. You guys are awesome. Water up there, Tom, if you want fresh water. Thank you. Hi, I'm Wayne. I'm a believer who struggled with alcoholism. I've been delivered from smoking. I've dealt with sexual sin, um, and I'm 
working in a recovery program here at City Lake or City Church, uh, Celebrate Recovery. Yeah, there is room in Celebrate Recovery for people who are seeking healing from their brokenness to gather to like people to work together to stand where two would stand, one might fall. Where a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. This is a ministry for people to come in, first of all, to examine yourself. Before you can work with somebody else, a family member or a friend, it's a good idea to examine yourself. Jesus said, you know, how can you remove the speck from somebody else's eye unless you first remove the plank in your own eye? Our program is a program of self-examination and then turning it over to God. Yeah. Uh, there's room for people, fa- friends and family members. If you've got a, uh, we've got a space to have a um, small group form around this topic. Awesome. So come and talk to myself, Irv, uh, Pastor Andrew. We will, if, you, if we've got people to lead a group, we've got people who want to have a group, we've got space to have a group, and we've got a, a, a structure around which to make that group happen. Every Wayne, Friday night. Wayne, you are one of my heroes, and all of your leadership and that ministry is off the charts. Friday nights, they feed you, they love you, they worship. It's just awesome. All right, one more, and then we're going to pray, and then if you've got more questions or comments, you can just come up and chat with me. Joey. All this has really made me think of uh, Hebrews 12. Since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us toss off. The sin that so easily entangles and let us run our race, keeps our eyes fixed on the prize. The more that we are, or how we run our race, and we are worried about getting rid of our own sin, people are going to see that and want that. Oh, that, I want to get rid of my sin. I'm watching them run their race. You know, we watch champions all the time. We want to be like Michael Jordan. We want to be like Tiger Woods, all that sort sort of stuff. So if we are becoming like Jesus because our eyes are focused on Jesus and we're carrying his love, his power, his presence, we're not going to have to figure out how to exactly witness and get them in. They're, ju- they're going to want to. We're worried, okay, if sin comes into the church and that sort of thing, we're not going to have to worry about that. If this place is so full of his presence because we are so worried about getting our eyes fixed on him and getting rid of our own sin man, it's going to be easy because they're going to come and they're going to, they're going to want Jesus because they're seeing us look at Jesus. And it's just going to be easy that way. The topics are hard. The consequences are hard of that sin. But the sin for Jesus is so easy. He, yeah. he can deal with that yeah. so easily. Bro, it is so true that free people, free people. Get free yourself and then just overflow on everybody around you and it's it's contagious all right let's stand together could we lord we just love you tonight thank you for being here thank you lord for all the voices that were heard lord you see all the broken hearts that are here And a lot of the broken hearts that are here are because of hearts that are broken out there or people that are living out there and they don't know how to deal with their brokenness. And Lord, all I can think of is you coming to that woman at the well that had gone through five marriages and was currently living with somebody and you look past all of that and you said, if you 
knew who I was and what the gift of God was, you'd ask me. And finally, you would find what satisfies. And so, God, I pray that you would give us eyes, that we would drink of the gift of God, that we would drink of that living water, and, God, that we would go out and not see the immorality, but see the thirst in people's hearts, as our brother with the motorcycle said, to see wounded souls that are really looking for something real, something that truly satisfies. God, thank you. Wash us tonight. I pray you'd send each of us out of here filled with hope, Um, not just for our own lives and our own families, but also for those who are broken in any way because you're a great Savior, God. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night. If you want to talk more, come to the front.